Welcome, everybody. Today is Wednesday, April 21st in the year 2021. This is the Get Smarter and Make Stuff podcast. And today I am really, really pleased to welcome on to the show uh, my good friend of a very long time, my coworker, currently my boss, actually, um, but somebody I've worked with and, and been friends with for 20 years now. I'm talking, of course, about Tim Ewald. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, it's good to be here, Craig. Thanks for having yeah. me. Oh, of course. I mean, so the name of the show is Get Smarter and Make Stuff. And uh, as I've told you, uh, there's really only three questions. Uh, what are you building? What are you learning? And then we have a question at the very end where we um, ask the guest to give us a piece of advice. So only three questions. But those three questions, I, I just I'm so fortunate that I know so many people that have a lot of intelligent things to say about those. And you are certainly very, very high up on the list, hence your presence here on the show in its early days. Um, I had been sort of kicking around, uh, you know, different ways to ask these questions. And I, and I wonder if you'll indulge me in an experiment uh, and, and allow me to set the order of the questions this time around. Yeah, that's um, fine. Cool. So then I'm going to start with the first question, which on this show will be, what are you building? What are you making, Tim? Uh, so I, I, at the moment, I'm making three things. Um, one of them is a company. <laughs> which I'm not going to talk about. We talk okay. about enough of that at work. All right. Okay. Um, I, I'm doing uh, two things woodworking wise, which is my, my main, uh, you know, source of making stuff outside of my day job. Um, and uh, it's interesting because they're, they're really kind of, <laughs> they seem sort of diametrically opposed to one another. So um, I started woodworking, uh, 12 or more years ago. And, um, pretty early on, I just fell down the rabbit hole of, um, working with hand tools. So, um, I build furniture primarily. I do use a couple power tools, most notably a bandsaw and more recently a planer, but, um, the, the bulk of my work I do with hand saws and hand planes and chisels. Um, and it's been a really interesting path for me. Like I just, uh, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know if this is a, maybe the engineer in me. I, I don't know. I wanted, when I set out to, to, to teach myself to woodwork, I, I felt compelled to have a rationale, like a, 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 for why I made the choices I made and a, and a system. And, you know, I, I basically decided that I would build furniture, um, using classical joinery. Um, and I would teach myself to do that work by hand. Um, and, over the last 10 or 12 years, I've built, I don't know, maybe 15 pieces of, uh, uh, or 18 pieces, I don't know, some number of things, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> some big, some small. Um, uh, when I say it like that, it doesn't seem like a lot. It's not very, <laughs> it's not a lot of productivity, but. I don't um, know. That seems like a lot to me as a person who has, who knows that every one of those is weeks, if not months of work, of spare time work anyway. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, um, Right. It's a challenge just trying to find the time to fit it in. And then when you work by hand, there's no doubt that um, that it's slower. Um, but it also has a lot to recommend it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's more peaceful um, and uh, sort of philosophical and therapeutic for me. Um, anyway, so so I um, kind of reached the point where I felt like I had mastered or or at least I was no longer intimidated by 
the kind of core joinery that I do in building a thing. And I sort of wanted to take another step and kind of give myself another challenge. And I decided that um, I wanted to start doing more work that involved curves. Um, you know, I read somewhere <laughs> at one point that, um, you know, shaker furniture is really popular, partly because it's really easy to make with a table saw, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. It's very straight, <laughs> straightforward to make. And it's an interesting point, right? And I, I thought to myself, well, okay, like I'm, I'm doing well on that front and uh, I want to kind of up my game, as I said. And so I laid out uh, a couple of um, projects sort of uh, culminating in, in wanting to build a, a um, bow front uh, chest on chest, which is just a style of um, bureau or dresser. Um, there's, I have a chest on chest that was my grandparents uh, that I'm tremendously fond of. And so it's sort of inspired by that piece. Um, but one of the things I realized was if I did that and I'm working by hand, I was going to need to uh, be able to make the decorative moldings for that um, and, and cut them by hand, which basically means uh, carving them, not carving in the sense of you know, leaves or, or egg and dart or anything like that, but just carving the basic shape. And I thought it would be wise to um, do a smaller project to learn more about doing that before mm-hmm. I took on that bigger project. And so I decided I would build uh, a mirror with uh, an elliptical top. So I've been focused on um, the initial stages of that project. So, you know, getting the design down, um, working out the exact dimensions and laying out the ellipse and all that. Um, And then I've also been spending time uh, essentially making a sample piece, right? Cutting a a curve out of a piece of cherry and uh, a curved inch square uh, piece of... uh, rough stock basically. And then, uh, going through the process of cutting, uh, a cove, a decorative cove into it, um, and a rabbit into the back of it around the curve, uh, by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that test piece came out. All right. I, I was comfortable with the techniques. Um, you know, I, I was basing the work on, uh, one of the articles, um, by Charles Hayward that's collected in uh, the Hayward books from Lost Art Press, um, which are a great source of information for people who want to work by hand. Um, yeah. And so uh, so I used the technique that he described for cutting a curved rabbit, and it all went, uh, it all went really well. Um, so I, I uh, in the last couple of days, have, you know, I'm very close to sort of actually moving into production mode to make this uh, mirror for real. Um, having done that test and and having worked out the design. Um, so that's kind of literally what's on my workbench at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is that typical for you? Like, have you made it the habit to produce test pieces or do prototypes or whatever when you're working? Um, it's, it's not that common. It, it usually is only when I'm trying something new uh, or something for the first time. So I actually have in the corner of my shop, um, like some of my original dovetail uh, joints, like my test, like when I was teaching myself to cut dovetails, um, and I have a I have a drawboard um, mortise and tenon joint that's just offcut, right? These things are maybe like <laughs> a four inch cube that is the joint, sure, right? right? Yeah. Um, and then similarly for this work, just trying out what it was going to take to carve this cove and to, and to make the rabbit. Um, 
you know, it's all doing that kind of work on a curve piece is brand new to me. So yeah, in that case, I, I might make a test. Um, but that would, that's typically the, the only time, um, like I don't usually do that. I can't think of a place where I did that for like testing out the design of something like a prototype in that sense to see how I felt about the design. Um, it's more about, uh, technique, um, and giving myself a chance to practice and learn some. Yeah. And you and I, you spoke about design a little bit. You and I actually uh, are fairly different when it comes to design. We, we talk about woodworking a lot. So this is the approximately 9,387th conversation we've had about, you know, working and hand tools and the philosophy and, you know, the technique and practice and all that. But, you know, you and I have somewhat different um, approaches when it comes to design. Um, in particular, I have, tend to rely quite heavily on computer aided design. I'll do a lot of my uh, woodworking designs or other things now, actually, now that I'm working on other materials more, um, using Fusion 360 and before that Google SketchUp. But you haven't really gone that route. You tend to work on uh, uh, paper and pencil, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of that has to do with uh, courses I took. Well, I mean, a specific course I took, right? I, I uh, When I was in high school, I took drafting um, in preparation for uh, college, where I originally went to study architecture. Um, and so I, I, and then I spent a, a, a year and a half at, in college in the architecture program. And so I've done a lot, a lot of technical drawing <laughs> mm -hmm. with, um, you know, a T square and triangles and compasses and all that. And, uh, I'm very comfortable working that way and I'm, I'm reasonably, um, uh, quick at it. Um, that said for, for most of the furniture that I have built, um, I don't come anywhere close to that. I've started doing that more recently um, for a couple projects. Um, I did a, uh, I built a timber frame loft uh, that was installed in a bedroom at a, at a friend's house. Um, and I realized in doing that piece, it's unusual for me to do work like that, that has to fit in an exact space. And I needed a drawing that I could take measurements off of. Um, so that kind of got me, That that's the first time in a long time I really felt like I needed to to break out my drafting board and actually, um, make a, a an accurate, uh, plan. And then, um, this mirror project as well, because of the curve and needing to do the layout for that, I decided to make a full size template, um, and, and drawing it out, uh, was the best way to do that. Um, but a lot of my stuff, I, I have a journal that I, I just, um, will draw sketches in of what I want a piece to look like. And, uh, Usually, if there's any tricky joinery or something I'm trying to figure out, there'll be a couple pages in there with different approaches to how to how to do the joinery. Um, but a lot of those things, you know, it's more about just getting a sense of the overall shape of the thing, and I kind of keep the joinery details in my head, and in some cases, work it out um, as I go along. Um, you know, I when I set out to work by hand, uh, and and decided that hey, I'm going to start by by um, working with the with the traditional joints, right? Dovetails, mortise and tenons, and and grooves, rabbits and dados, um, and so it actually with that set of tools in hand. I mean, for most things, it's it's pretty straightforward to figure to just like I don't need a detail that says, uh, or I don't need a plan that says I'm going to put a dado into the side of this case piece to put a shelf here. I just know there's going to be a shelf here, and like that's how you do it, right? Sure. So yeah. so I just uh, keep those things in mind. Um, 
so yeah, so it's interesting. You've mentioned a couple times now working by hand, and um, you know, I've mentioned it as well. And it's a thing that we're both interested in. Is I mean, I would say using hand tools, not so much being a hand tool person. Like hand tools for us aren't really the end. But um, so so I'm trying. To, what I'm trying to come around to here is you gave a talk that actually started me on my uh, hand tool journey. Um, this was actually a, at a at a programming conference. It was at the the closure conj. But I've always told people um, that they should watch it, even if they don't know anything about programming, because it's just a really, really interesting philosophical um, commentary on what effect tools have on your thinking. Obviously, you're making a point about the the programming language that we both like, Clojure. But I think along the way, you have a lot of interesting things to say about hand tools and, and, and really about tooling in general. So without trying to recap your entire talk, first of all, I will drop a link to that in the show notes. So people can and definitely should go watch that. Uh, it is one of the best conference talks I've ever um, seen. And I've seen a lot. By well, thanks, quite good people. Look, it's totally true. Um, and, you know, what's funny actually is it would have been at, at a conference that featured many very, very good talks. It would have been head and shoulders above all the rest, even still, except for the fact that Russ Olson gave his uh, moon talk, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is fantastic. also right. It's like also one of the best ever. So this conference was just like jackpot, and I'll put a link in for that one as well. And that's definitely another one that um, you don't need to know a thing about programming to understand or enjoy that talk. Anyway, so to bring the question back to you, um, I wonder if you could comment on that a little bit, and particularly, um, you know, kind of go into your theory about the interrelationship between you know, tools and the, and the worker and the work produced, if that's a fair summary. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the key point of the talk is that when you, when you make a choice about the tools that you use, um, the nature of the tools, uh, you know, is going to favor working certain ways and that, that, um, that it, that it's easy then to sort of lock yourself into that way of working. Um, one of the things I think is really interesting about hand tools, people, you know, it's, um, trying to think of the right phrase to use here, but in a sense, um, it, it really is about tools that don't have limits, right? When, when you use power tools, big machines, you know, they have a capacity. How, how wide is that joiner? How, how much can, how wide a piece can you rip on that table saw? If you have a CNC router, how big a piece can you, uh, process with it? Um, and so, you know, there are sort of inherent limitations to machines. I mean, obviously you can have really enormous machines, potentially they take up a lot of room and they cost a lot of money and what have you. Um, hand tools are the opposite, right? You're not, you're not bringing the piece of, uh, material to the tool. Although I guess with CNC, you're not either, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know, you can use the tools, um, to really achieve whatever, whatever you want. And I, I, I think it's interesting. I have a couple nephews who are um, contractors and, you know, it's the nature of their business. Like I'm, I'm a hobbyist, right? I, I can take my sweet time. Um, they want to do really good work, but they also have to make a living. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, so they heavily favor using power tools for their work as one would expect, but it's interesting. Cause I think there are projects that, um, are daunting to them that I, I think are really straightforward, right. By virtue of like, uh, Oh, you need to cut that odd shape. You know, we'll, we could do that with a, <laughs> a, a bow saw and then we could use some gouges and a chisel to clean it up or what have you. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, 
And for them, it tends to be like, oh, I need, I, I'm going to need to get a, a bigger bandsaw to be able to do this or I, a shaper or whatever. You know, shaper or yeah. some other thing. Right. The flip side of course is, you know, they, they couldn't uh, certainly work the way that I work and, and survive in their field. Right. Um, and it, it's interesting. This, I will, I will say, while I was working on this frame, what the, the prototype for this mirror, the point was really driven home to me because, you know, one thing that's interesting with hand tools is like we think about um, hand planes and hand planes are great when you're doing something that's straight. But boy, as soon as you go to curves, you either need to make a very special hand plane or you need to break out a chisel and a gouge and, you know, do it that way. Mm. Um, and it it is time consuming, right? It's... It, and again, I, I talk of this as curve uh, as carving this molding, but it's again, it's not carving as in you know decorative seashells or that kind of carving. It's just I need a I need a curve cut around a curve, <laughs> and um, it's it's funny because working on that piece, it really brought home to me that like boy, if I had a if I had a router table uh, where I could run you know this curved piece around a, a router a cove bit in a router. Um, you know, I would be done uh, far, far faster. And mm-hmm. I think basically what I started to see is that um, where I think that, you know, hand tools are not as fast as machines for straight work, it's it's even more so for curved things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because a lot of the hand tools that you're used to using uh, are not optimized for that. And you have to go back to sort of more, more basic tools. Um, but you know, again, that flip side, right, is you have freedom to make whatever you want to make, right? Um, so any shape, any size, uh, you know, an interesting example, I just mentioned using a router table uh, to to um, put a cove or a rabbit into a curved piece. Um, but what if you need that, that cove uh, to be turning in two dimensions, not just in one? So think of like a a, a gooseneck molding on a on a dresser or something like that. Anything as soon as you get two dimensions of curve, um, you know, a powered router is not going to help you. Sure. Um, well, I shouldn't say a that. CNC I don't one know, would, right? but but yeah, yeah right. I mean, you have I mean, five <laughs> axes at that point, and it's like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. There might be equipment. I'm sure there is equipment that would do it. It's it's not a thing that's easily to hand for most people. Uh, uh, yeah. So I I mean. I don't think this is really at all a contradicts your point. I, I will say it's utterly fascinating to me that um, CNC machinery is dropping in price. Um, I have in my shop a uh, it's it's a low end CNC in terms of capabilities because the big the big one when you're machining um, is rigidity, right? CNC routers, uh, particularly for hard materials like metals, need to be very rigid, and that's extremely difficult to achieve without throwing a giant pile of, you know, cast iron at it. Um, and, but I have this thing, it's, it's got, it's called the MPCNC, which stands for mostly printed CNC. Um, and it's 3d printed parts and conduit, like, you know, a, a galvanized steel conduit you pick up at home Depot for 20 bucks, um, and, and a microcontroller and some motors and, uh, you know, like it's a really capable sign carving machine. You know, if you're you know just chewing up MDF and you don't care how fast you go, and you could convert it into a four-axis or five-axis CNC machine, and you're only out at that point. I mean, if you really, really like, you know, do all the work you possibly can yourself, you could probably get her done for, you know, 
couple hundred bucks. I mean, certainly not much for, you know, what you get. Actually, I, I said five axis. I'm not totally sure that would be easy to do, but nonetheless, right, you're talking about easily four axis and certainly three axis CNC for for very little money. Yes, you're compromising on rigidity and therefore on capabilities, but um, I don't know. It's just really interesting to me that, um, you know, when things get 10 times or 100 times cheaper than they used to be, then it really can be a, a game changer. You know, for instance, I could imagine at some point if I wanted to do one of those 3D moldings that, uh, that you're talking about, I might rough it out on my CNC router. It's not it's not rigid enough to do millimetric precision on complex parts. But if it get me close and I can go the rest of the way with a rasp or files or or whatever, um, I think actually one of the projects in particular I've been thinking about is um, guitars, right? That neck, making a neck. You can certainly do that by hand. It's not even super hard to do by hand, but you could also rough it out um, quite straightforwardly using a CNC and then sand your way down or, you know, rasp your way down to a line. And and that kind of thing is interesting. And I think that actually, and I will stop talking in a second, you are the guest that people that actually <laughs> want to hear from, is what I think we've both come to, and this is a thing I'd love for you to comment on, is, you know, I believe we've both been pretty clear is that Hand tools are not the point. We both enjoy them for various reasons, but it's an ingredient in an approach, right? In fact, I know you've been thinking a lot lately about what the right mix of tools for you is. So anyway, that's a lot of thoughts to dump, but I, I wonder if you could comment on that, on how your thinking um, has evolved and is evolving towards like the set of tools that you use. And then maybe whether you have any concerns about that as far as the impact they might have on your thinking, like we were just talking about. Yeah, no, those, oh boy, there's I know, I know. <laughs> so many things I want to say now. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting point about the cost of the CNC machines. I didn't realize they were coming down that much. I, I, I will admit, I have, um, I feel a, <laughs> for myself, a certain aversion to those machines. Um, Mostly because I've worked my whole career programming computers, yeah. and you know I turned to woodworking as a way to um, get a break from that. Yeah. <laughs> so the thought of bringing and this might be a reason that I don't use, um, you know, computer aided uh, design tools or, or drafting tools as well, right? I I have spent um, just a huge amount of my life. Uh, working with computers and and getting frustrated when I can't get them to do what I want, and you know, um, by drawing by hand and and you know, uh, and not using CNC machines, I like stop that from from coming I, into my I hobby. We'll jump in briefly and say you are not wrong. I was making some cornhole boards for a friend of mine. Wanted some these things made for. Well, she has a youth charity. Anyway. Um, it's just a, it's just a board that I cut with my track saw. I love my track saw. I actually just did a video that I'll be posting soon on, um, you know, track saws. Just, I think they're really awesome tools. And then I had to cut a hole in the thing in each of the, you know, boards, just a circle. And I could have done it with a jigsaw <laughs> in not very long, but I'm like, oh, I'll use the CNC router. And sure enough, it took four tries and I had to ruin two test boards and go back and forth to the computer and tweak feed rates and tweak and it, it is it is exactly what you are afraid of now that's not like a, an indictment it's it's still a useful tool and i think for things like sign carving for me it's awesome right like because doing that by hand would be a pain in the butt 
um, to get good results anyway. But but yes, yeah, you absolutely I, are doing the thing you're ta- you're talking about. And and you know, obviously, it's a totally different world for people who are who are making a living of or course. even a, a partial, you of know, an additional income or whatever. That's a completely different thing. But so um, coming back to the question about my own thinking about tools, um, yeah, I, I have been thinking about this lately. So the other thing that I have been building, and I, I promise I'll loop this back, but <laughs> the other thing that I've been building is um, a larger shop. Um, and this has gone through a couple variants. My current shop is a space in my basement. Um, it's about, it's a little bit under 200 square feet. Um, it's got my bandsaw and planer and my workbench and all my hand tools. Um, and it's been great as a, you know, to have that space to work in. And I've, I've built a lot of stuff in there. Um, but I've really been wanting uh, a larger space. Um, I've been wanting to get above ground to have natural light. Like it, it's, I always struggle as the weather, you know, when the weather's nice to have to choose between time in the shop and time out of doors. So having a space that where I could open doors and windows and sort of feel more connected to the outside while I'm working would be great. Um, I also would really like the natural light, um, especially for finishing work. Uh, the, the lighting in my shop, not, I could improve the lighting in the basement shop, but um, it's, uh, you know, I, I like to be able to see how things look uh, in natural sunlight. Um, so I had tentative plans to put an extension on the back of my garage for this purpose. And um, for a bunch of reasons, I live on a pretty small lot right in town. Uh, it's only a quarter acre and like getting equipment in to do that work um, that was, it, it was going to be a lot and it was going to really <laughs> tear up the yard and everything. And, and the price was climbing. So um, I'm going to save the, the sort of dedicated shop space like that for some future property. But um the, the plan now is to take over um, the bulk of the garage, which will be great. Um, it's going to, it has 10 foot ceilings and uh, I'll be able to uh, have plenty of windows and it's all going to be good. Um, but in thinking about what, you know, the design of that is going to be, a big part of that question has been what, what would I put in there? Is it just to move the stuff out of the basement shop? And the answer is no, um, I am going to be getting some, uh, for me, significant power equipment. And the the motivation for that is sort of, uh, well, there's a couple different ones. Um, one is that uh, I have um, substantial issues with uh, my right shoulder. I'm right-handed. And uh, I was in a quite bad car accident when I was uh, 12, 14, something like that. And um, and my shoulder got really banged up and uh, it kind of loosened the the ligaments there. And so, um, as I've gotten older, like one of the ways my body has dealt with that injury from, from way back is, um, for the muscles to really compensate, um, for the looseness of the ligaments, which means the ligaments, as I understand it, basically hold your, uh, hold you in position when you're not moving. Um, and then muscles would normally be the thing that causes you to move. And, um, you know, for me, the, the muscles do more of that work. And so the end result is, um, I have a lot of issues just keeping my shoulder loose enough and um, it increasingly relates to rotator cuff pain and things like that. Anyway, um, point being working by hand, especially um, planing everything like, like rough lumber prep planing um, like is uh, it puts a fair amount of strain on my shoulder. And so part of my motivation is moving towards tooling to help me do that step just because 
um, you know, I want to keep doing this for a long time and I don't want to completely wear out my shoulder. Um, but another factor and is, you know, so there's sort of that physicality piece. Um, but another factor is just time. I mean, um, uh, work is taken more of my time and energy in, in, uh, recent months. And, uh, I just don't have very much shop time. And so, um, when I get in the shop, having to spend a big chunk of time working on like getting boards flat or the edges jointed square or what have you, um, it means progress is very slow and it's not, uh, super satisfying. Um, I also like the last big furniture piece I did was a desk that I built for my mom and the whole process, it was a project that I had going for like 20 months. Part of that was a whole bunch of issues came up in the middle, uh, completely unrelated to that, um, that just slowed me down. So there were big periods where I wasn't working on it at all, but you know, even if I just think about the actual number of hours worked, um, it was a lot and I certainly don't begrudge <laughs> my mom that, right? I, it was, you know, she asked me to build this desk for her and it was made with love for sure. It's beautiful, um, by the way. If, if there's any way we can get a picture of it to throw up on the, maybe we'll, we'll uh, talk about that otherwise, yeah, but it was a really uh, lovely piece of work. So, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm really happy that I did it, but, you know, it, it construction-wise, it's actually pretty simple. It's just a lot of parts and it's really time-consuming. So, uh you know, it's funny, right? I've talked a couple times, I've mentioned the sort of, you know, um, getting to the point where I wasn't intimidated by sort of the core joinery techniques, but then it kind of leads me to the question of, you know, okay, but do I need to do all those by hand? So for instance, I had that, that desk uses a frame and panel construction. There are inset panels on the backs and sides and inside the, the, the knee hole. And, um, I think there's, 12 of them all together, all rabbited on each side. And there's, they all fit into, um, raised framing that has grooves cut in it, you know, and it's all plowed and rabbited by hands. Um, that could have been done, you know, in far less time <laughs> using other techniques. And what am I guess the, the sort of question I wonder about is what am I getting from doing those things by hand? Right. When I started working by hand, uh, some of it was driven by, um, budget and space, and but also just a genuine interest in wanting to learn those techniques. But having learned them, you know, I, I don't know as there's a lot of benefit in it to me in terms of like, I'm going to plow, plow every groove I ever make in a piece of furniture with a hand plane, <laughs> right? <laughs> I could um, for sure. Um, but, you know, does that make sense as, as uh, a way to, um, to spend my, the time that I have in the shop, right? Or, or should I look at other approaches? Sure. And, but it is an interesting question, you know, related to, I, I guess one of the other factors is an example. Um, I was working with my child on building a, a dice rolling tray um, for role-playing games. And I mentioned it to my twin brother who, who, who plays uh, Dungeons and Dragons with a group of his friends. And he said, um, oh, that would be a cool Christmas gift for the people I play with. Do you think you could make a few more? And it's funny, like it wouldn't take that long to do by hand, but it would, you know, with the right power tools, it would have been done in an afternoon. Sure. Um, and so I'm, I'm very conscious of the fact that there are things that uh, people would like me potentially to build for them. Um, we're saying, okay, but the way that I work, like this could take a month or more. <laughs> Doesn't, you know, it's not as much of a commitment as I want to make to the thing. 
and it's not as long as they want to wait. And um, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, so, but but getting back to a, a point you made about, you know, how does it affect what you do? I think that's, or what is the right balance is a really interesting question, right? So my hope and my plan is that like, when you work by hand, you know, you learn several things about, you know, techniques that you need to use to be successful. And one is that you gauge pieces off one another. You generally don't measure. Mm -hmm. It's not like where you're going to set a table saw fence to a certain distance and then run five pieces through it, right? You're going to make each piece to fit the the task. And I think uh, to fit the exact spot it needs to go in. And so my current thinking is that I would use machinery primarily to, you know, get rough lumber into shape, but then I would, from there would, would continue to work that way. Right. So I'd still cut, um, uh, I, I, I guess <laughs> I just said, look, do I need to plow all these grooves by hand? And I'm about to say, oh, I would still cut my joinery by hand. <laughs> I don't know what the mix of those two will be. Sure. Like I do, I don't ever expect I will use a dovetail, uh, jig, right. I expect I'll be making dovetails by hand the way I do now forever. Cause I, I don't like using routers a whole lot. Um, would I cut rabbits and, and grooves on a table saw? I don't know. I don't really like cutting dados on a table saw. Uh, so I'd probably still do those with a plane. Um, I think I'll just find my way as I go. Yeah. One of the things that um, you and I have talked about before is that for me, um, an explicit stated goal for me and my, you know, making is about building capabilities. So it's not so much that, um, or it's not only that I'm uh, taking up, you know, metalworking and machining because I have particular things I want to make out of metal. It's that I want to be able to make things out of metal or wood or plastic or, you know, you name it. And um, I think that's kind of, kind of where I've come to with the whole question of tools. Cause you know, I mean, when, when I first got inspired by you to do hand, more hand tool woodworking, I had previously used, uh, power tools exclusively, you know, I had a table saw and all that good stuff. Um, and I kind of went, swung the pendulum and went over and I, and as I've, you know, come forward and become more experienced in my hobby, uh, you know, it really is about capabilities. And so like what I, the advice I give to people is you may not want to do, um, edge joining with a hand plane and that's fine. Like you prefer to use a, a power joiner. It's your favorite tool. That's great. Right. But you should know how to, because then you have a capability that you can exercise when the situation demands. So I think that's um, somewhere in what you're talking about a little bit is, you know, um, you know, and the capabilities have to do with your limitations too, right? Like I'm, I'm not as young as once I was, there will probably come a time when pushing a plane across a board, you know, 700 times in an hour is beyond my capabilities. And at that point, it'll be good to have other capabilities, probably in the form of powered tools that let me do what it is I want to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I, I completely agree about, um, I guess I look at it, you know, hand tools are, that's, that's the tooling of the infinite, right? Sure. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've, I've been encouraging, I've mentioned my nephews, right? I've been encouraging them to, to do more work with hand tools when it fits into what they're doing. Um, so they, you know, kind of learn the power tool way first and are, are learning more about hand tools as it's appropriate for the work that they do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really happy, you know, if, if I, uh, or as I start using some power tools for more things, 
um, that I went the other way, right? That I that I um, took the time to learn how to do these things by hand. Because as you say, there's always a point where you might say, um, oh, this is beyond the capacity of the machine I have, or I could do this on this machine, but it wouldn't be safe. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I recently had a conversation with uh, an acquaintance as uh, part of a... Uh, and a woodworking community I belong to, um, Shannon Rogers Hand Tool School. And um, I actually don't know. My suspicion is that he, he you know, started more as a power tool woodworker and then, and then really picked up hand tools. And I, I asked him about, you know, project by project or step of a project, like how he decides what to do. And um, one of his points, he had several, but one of his points was, you know, well, when something's too small to safely do, uh, with a table saw or joiner, I do it by hand. Um, or if something's new to me, so there's something to learn from doing it, I do it by hand. Um, or value, right? I'm working on a thing where like, I'm, I'm going to build a thing that I'm going to give to someone and, and there's meaning in the fact that I did this work by hand. Mm. Um, and I thought those were interesting dimensions to think about. Um, just, you know, like, <laughs> it's funny to say, you know, I don't have many cabinets in my shop because the fast way to build cabinets is with plywood and, and pocket screws or dominoes or whatever. <laughs> yep. And it's not tooling that I have or it's not work that I'm set up to do. And, you know, it's kind of goofy to say like, well, I boy, I'd really like to have cabinets in my shop, but I'm going to have to build them, the you know, the way they did in the 1700s. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I can see making that shift and, and as you say, gain, gain the um, capabilities to do both things. Yeah. God, that's good stuff. You know, it's funny. I, um, I had in my mind that, oh, this time around, I'll ask him, what are you making? And then we'll talk about that. And then I'll ask him, what are you learning? And we'll talk about that. But just like every single other show that I've done so far, it turns out that those two things are inextricably linked in every conversation I've had. So we've just spent a lot of time talking about you know, making things, but we've also spent a lot of time talking about, and you know, this goes back to your really excellent uh, conference talk about like thinking about that, like what it does to your brain about learning and whatnot. So I just find that endlessly fascinating, um, the intersection of those two things. Um, that said, I, I would like to ask you before we, you know, get to an hour and a half here, which we could easily do, and I would be uh, enthralled the whole time, but I, I, I will ask you the question. We can maybe pivot and then Tim, what are you, what are you learning? Um, well, I mean, it, <laughs> I've been, uh, I guess it, it, it is very closely related, sure. right? So, I mean, I talked about working on this, uh, on this mirror project and learning how to make something that has substantial, uh, a substantially curved uh, aspect to it. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying for a while to include curves in everything that I do, but they tend to be very, you know, minor decorative things on an otherwise straight piece where this one is like, here's actual joinery and decoration that has to follow the curve. And so just learning those techniques. Um, so certainly that I would say, uh, you know, has, I've been challenging myself there and, and making progress. Do, um, do you have like a, a way that, so when you said to yourself, I want to learn how to, you know, I want to get better at making curves. Do you have an approach to learning where you're like, okay, well, the first thing I'm going to do is, I don't know, like for me, I would look for a book. That's one of the things I look for. Do you have a approach that you use for stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, um, I think certainly f lately for 
I, I would turn to a book too. Um, you know, a lot of what I learned about handle woodworking came probably it's a mix of, of books and YouTube. Um, and this is a place like I absolutely love the Hayward mm -hmm. uh, volumes that Lost Art Press put out because uh, he wrote all kinds of pieces or edited all kinds of pieces about how to do um, more complex uh, hand tool work. Then, you know, there's a lot of books that are like, here's the basics of making a, a table or making a drawer. Um, but, you know, he would cover like, how to cut stopped grooves by hand efficiently, um, how to work a rabbit around a curve, how to uh, work a molding around a convex corner, but have it be rounded, right? So um, I, I find those, his books uh, or his, his articles just um, an endless source of information and also um, challenges. I mean, part of why I took this on was I found the article, which is, uh, this is how you cut a curve around uh, a rabbit rather around a curve. And I thought, Oh, that's pretty cool. I have to try that. <laughs> I'll need to come up with a project that requires me to do that. So <laughs> yeah. I can, so I can learn um, the steps that, uh, that he's taking. And one of the interesting takeaways from that is, um, you know, a, a lot of time when you're doing joinery and you need something larger, like think about chopping out a half blind dovetail. Like a lot of people argue to excavate the back of the dovetail so that you can then cut in from the side and break off big chunks. And in a way, his approach to cutting a curved rabbit um, takes that approach, but it starts, or one of the early steps is taking a narrow gouge and trenching along the curve of the rabbit. And that leaves waste on the outside that you can then uh, easily remove with a chisel. Um, and so it's just interesting. Like there was a, there was a, uh, essentially in addition to carving gouges, what are called firmer gouges or bench gouges, which are heavier weight gouges that were used for um, primarily for, for heavier stock removal. But the interesting thing about using a gouge is because of the shape, you're not going to split out the grain. Like if you try to dig that trench with a chisel, your chance of um, breaking the shoulder of the curve as you went around, it would be a lot higher. Um, so like, I think that <laughs> that's actually a thing I've been reflecting on is the role of the the gouge as a joinery tool, not hmm. just as a carving tool. That's really interesting. And I, I, I realize that we've been throwing around a lot of technical terms. Um, rabbit for one, which is rebate if to the to the British, um, which is just like an L-shaped um, excavation in the edge of a piece of wood. A gouge, just for people real briefly, is um, just a curved chisel, really. Um, anyway, sorry about that. I, I, your, I think your points were all super interesting, even independent of the uh, technical stuff. I just need to remind myself every once in a while to drop a comment because we're going to have people coming to this podcast, I hope, you know, from all sorts of disciplines, metalworking, or maybe just inter people interested in learning. Anyway, but sorry, I didn't mean to distract from your point, which no, is no super worries. interesting. So the, so the other thing I've been learning, well, I've, you know, working on the design for the shop, I've been mm -hmm. learning a lot about um, various tool options that are out there uh, for various things and, and thinking through like there too, capabilities, right? What would I want to use different tools to do? Um, you know, what, how do I expect them to fit into my, to my workflow? Um, oh man, that's like thinking about one of what my it takes to design like, a shop. Sorry. You're just, you're describing, I could almost argue that one of my hobbies is looking at tools. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, you know, working on the design for a shop, right. Just having to worry about lighting and, and power requirements and, um, 
you know, it's stuff that like I did sort of piecemeal in my current shop, but, you know, I'm trying to take a more holistic approach to this one. Um, I think the other thing, and this is going to go kind of in a different direction, uh, is, you know, I had <laughs> significant, uh, a significant health issue last year and that, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, thankfully I'm now cancer free. Yes, thankfully. Um, but you know, I had stage three cancer and like, I'm not one to dwell on my own mortality, but I will admit you kind of feel the breeze as that goes by. I mean, honestly, I got to say, Tim, I don't think I've, I don't know if I've said this to you. I would have fallen apart. Like you, you, I was so impressed by your ability to get through that with, I mean, I'm sure it was incredibly stressful, but like you seem to deal with it in, and we're close, right? Like, I feel like I, I had some, insight into you know what's going on with you and, and it would have it would have rocked me completely off my feet so anyway sorry go ahead yeah i, I yeah i mean it, it's interesting a, a number of people have said that to me and i think there's sort of there's two reasons i've i've explained to a number of folks like a, a big part of that was the the uh the scary as it might be to be diagnosed with cancer the prognosis was always quite good mm. um and so i think I, my reaction would have been quite different if it had if the prognosis had not been good. <laughs> mm. um, but I think the other thing is, uh, th- uh, you know, that has to do with how I grew up and, um, you know, why I'm going to credit my grandfather, right? Like, uh, it's a problem. You wouldn't, uh, you would hope to not be in that situation. But if you are in that situation, you know, you, you get on with it. You do the things you have to do. Um, you know, waving your hands in the air and wailing about it isn't going to make a difference. So, um, that might sound harsh, right? I, I don't mean no, to come I, across. I, I believe that way. I like, take uh, it the way you mean. People it. have, yeah, their, you know, people have different reactions, and they're and they're um, obviously, you know, they're all totally valid. I don't mean to, uh, you know, suggest that people who react otherwise are are somehow sure. incorrect. Um, but for me, you know, uh, I was raised that like, hey, here's a thing we have to try to overcome it by taking these steps. So you take the steps you need to take, and hopefully that works. And, uh, you know, for me it did, so that's good. Um, but the, the thing that, uh, that why do I bring it up here? Right. Um, I think it has made me reflect a lot on, you know, okay, what, what time do I have and what do I want to do with it? And, you know, what is the purpose of my woodworking? Right. I, uh, you know, I got into woodworking because I wanted to make things that would last beyond my lifetime. Um, I work in software, we both work in software and, you know, um, there's precious few things you do today in software that are going to be around in five years yeah, or 10 years, yeah. let alone 50 years. Yeah, in fact, so, we both had the amusing experience of having worked together to replace an old piece of software and then a mere 15 years later hearing people complain about it as this old decrepit thing that now needs to be replaced. Yeah. But 15 years these days in software, that's a good run. It was a man. pretty good run for sure, but it's still funny to think about. Yeah. So, um, so you know, one of the things I'm very conscious of now is, um, you know, especially as I have less time to work in the shop, it's like, okay, how much time do I have to make things? <laughs> and, and I have a big list of things I want to make. And the funny thing about it is many of them are things I don't actually really need. Mm. So for whatever reason, since the first time I saw there's a style of furniture, uh, it's a Southern vernacular style called a hunt board. Um, and it's, you can think of it as uh, a variation on what would be called a sideboard, like in a dining room for keeping dishes and serving on and what have you. And 
Um, I don't know. There's something about that form that is very appealing to me. Uh, and so I really want to make one. And I like making bigger case pieces. They feel like puzzles to me. I like the intricacy of um, all the parts, like the desk that you know I built for my mom. I, I've lost track, but I mean, I want to say it had 150 parts. Um, I just think that it, it's, you know, uh, I'm not going to say it's like a puzzle because you know how the pieces go together, but it's an interesting thing to make. And um, so I, it's it's an odd thing. Like I, I was sort of joking with my wife saying, um, you know, I'm going to spend this money to, to build the shop in the garage uh, and get these, the, the, the tools that I want um, so that I can build furniture that I don't really need. <laughs> um, but what I, but, but the, but the thing I do need is to build. Mm-hmm. So I'm not actually sure what precisely I would build or what I'll do with things, um, the things that I build, but I, but it is very important to me to be building. And, and as my role in our company um, becomes, uh, is less directly involved in, in the, in the technical details. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, building with uh, furniture um, kind of fills a, 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 a gap for me. Totally. And after my experience last year, you know, I am very conscious of like, I, I loved building the desk for my mom, but um, you know, I don't want every project to take, you know, 12 to 18 sure. months to complete. Cause then I'm not going to complete as many as I would like. Sure. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Yep. Yeah. For me, it's the, it's lathe, the lathe, by the way, I don't have infinite pieces of furniture lying around, but I'm sitting at my desk right now looking at three bowls that I made. (laughs) I was going to say you have stacks of bowls all over the place. It's not quite the stacks yet, but it is. And the thing of course with the lathe is, you know, uh, whereas a piece of furniture for me, like you is weeks or months uh, from start to finish a bowl is (laughs) minutes or hours (laughs) so you can wind up with a lot more but it's so fun and i I really enjoyed it and i will keep making bowls even if we get to the point where every single piece of dinner where we eat off of in an entire month is made of wood and came from my hands i'll still make more yeah exactly it's that um i don't know it's what whatever the drive is you know i just want to create things and uh one of the things i hope to do in this new shop space like at the moment my lathe is already up in the garage and I don't really use it very often. Um, but I'm hoping to have it more incorporated into my work. Um, well, they're good at forward. curves. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They're not really good at anything else. In fact, <laughs> cool. Um, so this is awesome. And I, I don't want to cut you off if there's more that you, you w- would like to share with our audience about, you know, making or learning that certainly we have time for that, but it might not be a bad idea to sort of, you know, uh, transition to our last question and, uh, and, you know, of course we'll have you back on. I mean, you and I talk basically every day and we often talk on weekends and we often get to four thirty on a Friday and say, you know what, like no more work is going to happen. My brain is tired. Hey Tim, let's talk about what you're going to build this weekend. Anyway, point being, if there's anything else you'd like to cover, um, awesome. Uh, and if not, we will turn to our final question. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go to the final question. Cool. So that is of course, um, to ask you for a piece of advice, it can be advice about anything. It does not have to be about getting smarter or making stuff. Um, although we would certainly appreciate advice in that arena. You've already given us a bunch to think about, uh, but uh, maybe we can ask you for one more. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I knew about the first two questions when it came on. I mean, I, this is sort of where I've where I've been spending a lot of um, time lately. Is 
is uh, really kind of digging into, you know, why you work the way you work, mm. like why you choose to do what you do. And I, I mean, this is just sort of where I'm at at the moment, because I've been I've been thinking a lot about that with like, why did I choose to work by hand? Um, why do I, you know, there's a part of me that's like, oh, man, start using machines for stuff. I don't know. In some ways, like I've I have moments of like, am I letting myself down? Like I, I, I had this goal to do this by hand and you know, I, I've it's okay, met a lot Tim. of people who are like, you know, I know it is right. I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, but it's, um, but it is that reflection of like, why, why do I like to work by hands? And, you know, look, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a historical reenactor. I'm not, there's a guy, um, Zach Dillinger who, has said that his goal is to create pieces of furniture that um, confuse historians about their provenance. <laughs> he wants to build things now that they look at and go, you know, basically, oh, if we didn't carbon date it, we would think this was from, you know, the 1700s, which, hey, that's great. Like, that's his goal. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it, lately it has been on, on my mind, right, about why I choose to do the things that I do and and what my real uh, real goal is and and to recognize that it's okay for it to change over time. Like I, I acknowledge that there was a part of my path that was like, I think it's really cool to do this work by hand and I want to learn those skills and I take pride in the fact that I taught myself those skills. Um, but, you know, building things, especially, you know, building things like this desk for my mom, uh, or the easel I made for my wife, or, you know, the dice tray I was working on with my child. Um, you know, it's way more important for me that, that I'm creating those artifacts to share with them. Mm. <laughs> and sometimes they're participating in creating them. Um, you know, that's way more important to me than I did it a particular way. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that may not be a, I don't know if that's advice exactly, but it um, that's kind of where my head's at. No, it is because <laughs> it's something to think on, and I think that's that that is easily interpreted as advice. Certainly, um, I mean, you and I have had anyway. We could easily go on for another entire show about exactly this topic, but I will, I will, I think we'll close it down there. I will thank you for the advice and for all of the other super interesting information, despite the fact that I've talked with you, as I said, something approaching nine thousand times about this stuff. I still find your insights to be endlessly fascinating. And I think our listeners will, will feel the same. So thanks a ton for taking the time to come on and, and talk with us today. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for saying that. I hopefully it's, it's useful to somebody <laughs> and I appreciate your asking me. All right, cool. Well, we'll close it down there. Uh, this has been get smarter and make stuff. listening to Get Smarter and Make Stuff. I'm your host, Craig Andera. Visit the show online at getsmarterandmakestuff.com. That's all spelled out, all one word. Go there to subscribe to and comment on the show, read the blog, view the gallery, and find a link to the Get Smarter and Make Stuff YouTube channel. Come on by. We're also on Twitter at Make Smart Stuff. If you enjoyed the show and feel like sharing with others you think might like it too, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening and see you next time.